go. So, uh, yes, this coming Thursday is Thanksgiving uh, in our nations, in our culture's uh, um, sort of rhythm of the year. Thanksgiving's got its roots. Um, people take it all the way back to uh, 1600s, early 1600s, 1619, 20, 21. Uh, a celebration, kind of an original celebration uh, by some uh, indigenous Americans and some folks from England who got together and together gave thanks around deer and fowl and eat and, and enjoyed, ate and enjoyed that. Um, Thanksgiving's actually kind of been a part of uh, a culture, uh, lots of different cultures over human history in a variety of different ways. Uh, in American history, it's kind of evolved and had sort of different stops and starts. Uh, there were times in the 1840s where people thought, oh, we need to do this, and it kind of became an official thing, and then it uh, kind of died or passed away. And then Lincoln had a big role in the early uh, 1860s in kind of reinstituting uh, Thanksgiving as a national day of prayer and Thanksgiving. And, uh, and then it kind of became official and unofficial and then uh, moved around November a little bit. Um, Thanksgiving today in our time is an interesting holiday uh, in my mind because it remains largely unaffected by the market forces of profit. I don't know if you've noticed that. The Christmas industrial complex, as I call it, has thus far not really been able to successfully infringe upon Thanksgiving or the idea of Thanksgiving by commercializing it or at least not over-commercializing it. Christmas has been highly commercialized and at many levels is a profit-driven holiday in our culture today. It is uh, the run-up to Christmas and because of Christmas that many businesses become profitable and are profitable for the first time uh, in that year and for each year. We all know that. But Thanksgiving, notice, uh, remains largely uncommercial or non-commercialized as Madison Avenue has not figured out a way to put together or to wed two messages. The first of which is, be thankful for all that you have and all that you've been given. And the other message is, and let us tell you why you need all of this other stuff. Like those two messages, even Madison Avenue and the best marketers haven't found a good way to wed them together, to fit them together, to have them match or become a pair or a couple. And so the American holiday of Thanksgiving remains somewhat intact, at least uh, uh, how we're in touch with its original idea and purpose and vision, even with the heavy emphasis on Thanksgiving Day and uh, the days around it, football, turkey, travel, all of which are good, uh, all of which are good. We're still generally in touch, though, with the purpose, the meaning, the idea of Thanksgiving. It's right in the name, Thanksgiving. Give thanks. Uh, so being in touch with that's a good thing. Uh, but my question this morning is, can Thanksgiving be more for us than it is? Can we get more out of it? Does God have more in it for us? And what might the scriptures say about this? Uh, this will be our focus over the next few minutes. But first, let's pray. God, it's so good again to be together as your family gathered in your name uh, to worship, to give thanks, uh, to express our gratitude and joy, to bring you praise. 
It's good to be together also to be uh, fed and nurtured and encouraged, uh, to have opportunities to love one another in person as we do in this space and on this campus when we're together. We ask that uh, as we open your word and have this time together around your word that you would teach us, that you would build us up, that you would plant seeds of your word in us that will grow and blossom and bring you glory and joy and pleasure. I pray that uh, as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and ever forgotten. Amen. So the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, it's the hymn book of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. The book of Psalms in which, in which uh, God calls his people over and over dozens and dozens of times to things like this. Two, give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. Give thanks to you, Lord, with all of one's heart. Give God thanks in the great assembly. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. How did you enter the sanctuary this morning? Uh, for, for some of us, just rolling out of bed on a Sunday morning, this is m- the most difficult day of the week to get out of bed for whatever reason. Roll, pain, up, vertical, drive, arrive, coffee, donut, and then how do we enter the sanctuary? Are we ready? What's our disposition? What are we looking for? Why are we here? And the psalmist say so many times over and over in a variety of ways, enter his gates with thanksgiving, with anticipation and with readiness. How do we enter his sanctuary? Near the end of the Apostle Paul's letter to the, his first letter to the Thessalonians, which many scholars think was the first of all of the 27 books in the New Testament to be written, the very first one. At the end of that letter, Paul uh, gives sort of these closing uh, directions or exhortations to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, And And they go like this, or some of them are like this, best known maybe. Rejoice always. Just closing comments. Let me wrap it up, Paul's saying. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People sometimes ask, especially when we're younger, right? What is God's will for me? What is God's will? What is God's will for me in my life right now? And Paul, part of the answer is right there from Paul. God's will for you always is to give thanks in all circumstances, which sounds easy enough, but who does it? In other words, who thanks God in all circumstances? Anyone? I don't. I absolutely don't. I haven't. There are circumstances in our lives where many of us are inclined to complain in all circumstances or grumble or wonder why God hasn't answered our prayers in the ways that we had hoped or expected. We wonder if God is there or if God is listening. We have thoughts about life not being fair. We can get stuck in blaming 
other people, blaming the world. We can get stuck in discontentment. We tend towards saying things that we don't or that we regret later. We drift into greed and envy and just dissatisfaction with whatever it may be, which is never a good place for a lot of reasons, one of which is that such smugness, what it can do to not just our minds, but also our hearts and our souls, and to our understanding or our our relationship with the God who is loving, truly loving, as we talked about last week, generous, kind, wise, and infinitely patient. We can drift into that instead of giving thanks in all circumstances. We can grumble in all circumstances. We often fail to understand God and God's way or God's timing. We make assumptions that are often false. All the while, would we, we would be better off giving thanks to God instead of questioning God. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. In other words, whatever our circumstances may be. We ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it's good. If it is bad, because it can work in us patience and humility, contempt of this world or for this world, rejection of the world, and the hope of our eternal country or dwelling. But no one is uh, suggesting, I'm not suggesting that giving thanks or practicing gratitude in every circumstance is easy. It absolutely is not. I'm inclined to believe that thanking God in and for difficulty or seemingly undesirable circumstances or situations may come more easily for some people, more naturally for some people, more difficult for other people. But practicing gratitude, giving thanks in all situations is not easy for anyone that I've met. And this is where Henry Nouwen, some of the things that he wrote are very helpful for me. Henry Nouwen, uh, Catholic priest, teacher, scholar, author, passed away now. He wrote, in the past I always thought of gratitude as a spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts received, but now I realize that gratitude can also be lived as a discipline. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. Gratitude as a discipline involves a conscious choice. I'm reading slowly because like it, I've got to take this in myself. A conscious choice. I can choose to be grateful even when my emotions and feelings are still steeped in hurt and resentment. Has anyone been there this week? It is amazing how many occasions present themselves in which I can choose gratitude by the grace of God instead of complaint. The choice for gratitude rarely comes without some real effort, but each time I make it, the next choice is a little easier, a little freer, a little, self-conscious, a little less self-conscious. Like the Christian life, the life of every person, the life of a child of God, it, it does take effort. And sometimes we forget that. We think it's just, we pray that prayer, we go to church, it's just going to flow easily. But Henry Nouwen points out that there are times and ways and places that this is going to take some effort. But with the grace of God and God's help, we can do it. 
He continues somewhere else. To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between the events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. I think there's a lot of truth there sometimes truth that we're not excited about in the moment. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi from a prison cell in Rome, from behind bars, from in chains in Rome. Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, sort of permeating it all. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A few verses later, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's the most taken out of context verse in all of the Bible, by the way. Remember the circumstances in which Paul found himself as he wrote. I have learned to be content in all situations. And gratitude to God was certainly a part of that foundation. Willful gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. Corey Tinboom wrote of her sister thanking God for the fleas. The fleas, little bugs fleas in their barracks at Ravensbrück concentration camp in Nazi Germany during World War II. Corey could not understand why they should thank God for the horrible fleas, but she followed her sister's lead in the Bible's instruction to thank God in all things. Not long after that, though, they both realized that the German guards never came to their barracks anymore. So the women were never assaulted anymore. And they were free to have Bible studies through which many of the women in their barracks came to know Jesus Christ. It was only later that they found out why the guards had left them alone. It was the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances. We don't know everything. We don't know what God is doing or will do through our circumstances or how he will mold or shape us. The scriptures just call us continually, though, to thank God in every situation. Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning, no matter what else greets us in the course of the day. And I hope, that, I mean, we've sort of decorated for fall and Thanksgiving and we're, Thursday's coming. May this be not just another turkey, football, and travel weekend, 
but one in which we hear God's voice and his call to give thanks to him, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Thomas Merton was uh, the renowned Trappist monk, scholar, theologian, poet, mystic, social activist. Thomas Merton wrote, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us. And he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, for it brings with it immense graces from him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. Not by being told that, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. Albert Schweitzer, he was a physician and an organist and a musicologist and a missionary and a philosopher and a writer and a theologian and a humanitarian and a Lutheran minister on the side. Winner of the Nobel Prize in 1953 for peace because or based on a small book that he wrote called Reverence for Life. And here's just one line from that. The person who does not reflect her life back to God in gratitude does not know herself. The person who doesn't reflect her life back to gratitude, back to God in gratitude, does not know herself. Gratitude has been called not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all virtues. Gratitude has been called not the greatest of, not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent or the mother or the father of all virtues. And so as we enter Thanksgiving holiday, may this be a time for us to practice gratitude, the discipline of gratitude in a variety of ways, maybe as you normally do, but explore gratitude and the willful practice of that in new ways. Maybe through prayer or in prayer or in or with the Psalms. Through saying to people around you, I'm really grateful for, I thank God for. Do you, do you say that much? Maybe through writing notes, letters, cards, taking the time to write, I'm really grateful for you in this way. I read an article recently about a CEO uh, who writes 9,000 thank you notes a year to every one of their employees, sometimes on their birthdays, sometimes at other places. 9,000. And the culture of that company is out of this world. By also thanking God for things that for which we don't or you don't, which don't normally and I don't normally thank God for circumstances and in circumstances that are difficult and by expressing to God our gratitude to him in all circumstances and in all situations, as God is with us in all things. And we don't know what God has planned or what, may God, or what, what God may desire to bring about in our lives through circumstances that we don't normally consider desirable. But God is there, God is with us, and God is in motion doing, acting, willing, loving through every situation or circumstance in which you've ever found yourself. 
part of our role in giving thanks to God for those things is to listen and pay attention and be shaped and be molded. So I want to do a little exercise. We've got the time. We've got a couple of minutes. Uh, grab a white card off the, out of the pew rack in front of you, and there should be a pen available to you. If you prefer to type into your phone, that's okay as well. But I want to encourage you in those ways today, and we're going to sort of pause and give us all the gift of a couple of minutes of silence to think about how God may be prompting you according to the Psalms or according to what we've read or according to Paul to give thanks to God in all circumstances and maybe naming the circumstances that you have considered in your life up to this point devoid of God, not from God, where God isn't sovereign. And to say again, Thank you, God, in those for those situations, for those complex relationships, for those people that are really difficult in my life. Not, don't, don't read it too far, but let's take two minutes and say, God, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling to me, me to give thanks? What does it look like to practice gratitude in this pain or in this confusion or in this hard situation or in these circumstances that I really want out of? What are you calling me to see? Who are you calling me to love? How are you, through gratitude, wanting to renovate my heart? Two minutes. Ready, set, go. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything with these uh, publicly or up front, but uh, tuck it in your pocket, uh, take it with you this week, uh, reflect some more on Paul's words to the Thessalonians and what God might be prompting you to do or how God might be prompting you to think or live in new and different ways. How might doing what the scriptures invite and call us to do, transform you and me into the always grateful or in all things grateful people that God would have us be. People who are overflowing with abundance because we're focused not on what we don't have, materially or otherwise, but now in a new way, focused on the goodness of God already in our lives when we stop comparing ourselves with others and what others have and when we push back against Madison Avenue that's always infringing upon us. And so in that, hopefully, I expect we will all find ourselves actively living life today in these bodies in ways that Jesus described as abundant.
and eternal. I was thinking this week of someone, some of you may remember way back from the 80s, someone named Johnny Erickson Tata, who when she was 16 or 17, had a swimming, diving accident and became paralyzed. She's written about her own experience of gratitude, saying that, you know, when I was on my feet, her term, and not in a wheelchair, she took so much for granted, so many powerful experiences for life, but it was only when her life was slowed down and put into a chair for the rest of her life still today that she began to notice God with her, God's presence with her, the abundance of God's gifts continually around her to the point that she would say, and she has said, her life is richer because of an obviously undesirable circumstance. I've had a couple of uh, more than one opportunity this week to interact with and around situations in which people have been uh, forced to confront death, the death of our human bodies, and the difficulty often connected with that. So it reminded me of a story that I've shared with you before at least once, but I thought in closing I would share this again. This young man writes, the state-run convalescent home is not a pleasant place. It's large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years during college. But I never wanted to go there. I always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this, this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one year, ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this site, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway, but I put up a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you, happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, 
were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays, when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often I would pause. When I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics that she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder, and I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten directions at once with all of the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for five weeks or for five minutes. And I asked, why do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks wouldn't think I'm kind of, would think I'm kind of old-fashioned. But I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. 
Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? I think of Jesus and how good he has been to me. How much do we have to learn about ourselves and about life and the world and God from someone like Mabel? I have much. The mystic Meister Eckhart wrote, if the only prayer you said in your whole life was thank you, that would probably suffice. And he was probably right. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you. For the circumstances of our life, maybe for which we haven't been grateful in the past or up to this point or at this moment. But we thank you, the giver of all good gifts, a father who will only give good gifts to his children. We thank you for your providence and your provision. We thank you for the ways you have been present with us and for us, even when we were not aware. Sometimes we've drifted toward ingratitude. Often we've just drifted toward ingratitude and smugness. We've forgotten the breadth of your goodness to us. Bring these things to memory today and each day for the rest of our lives. Truly, you have been good. Humble us, forgive our ingratitude. Fill us with gratitude. Like little Piglet and Winnie the Pooh, fill our hearts to overflowing with gratitude for all you've given us. Increase our capacity for thanksgiving. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.